So good morning. My name is Nathan Detweiler. I'm the senior pastor here at the church. So glad that you joined us in this month of Thanksgiving leading up to the, the holiday and to, to Christmas. I'm so thankful to be part of a family, and I count you as my family and my friends, and I see hours of, of talking and coffee and meals that I've spent with many of you, and I just pray that as we, as we come together in the coming year that we draw closer together as a family and build those relationships among the church. Um, today, I have a message that God's put on my heart, and then we're going to break and have our annual meeting, which is a, a part of who we are and what we do as a church. But uh, today, we're going to be looking at Galatians 5, looking at a passage that's been on my heart for uh, a few months now. How many of you here have heard of Rich Mullins? Rich Mullins is a cool guy. He, he's passed away, he was in an accident, passed away, but a very early, probably 1980s, late 70s singer and songwriter and artist uh, of, of Christian music, but really a real musician, a real poet, not like a churned out Nashville Christian music act. I guess I have my opinions. <laughs> a, a poet um, who wrote beautiful poetry, music, and art, and uh, died too soon in an accident. But uh, Rich Mullins wrote a song called Awesome God. Have you heard this song before? Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. You got it. I can hear it. I can hear the bass coming in. So he, he wrote a lot of songs, and that's, that's perhaps his greatest known. But I, I say get in touch with his catalog. Listen to his music. A friend of Rich Mullins recalls a story about, about Rich Mullins. And Rich Mullins is, is someone with, with wit and humor a down-to-earth and real kind of Christian. And uh, his friend recalls this story. He says, Rich used to talk about how people would come up to him after concerts and say, wow, the Holy Spirit really moved to that certain point in the song. And Rich would respond by saying, no, actually, that's where the kick drum and the bass came in. <laughs> that's really funny. perhaps knocking them a little bit off of their spiritual mindedness and saying, you know, we're using music in a way to, to touch your emotions. But the message he, he gives in that little quote uh, is, is simple. It's easy to mistake the appearance of something for the real thing. It's easy to mistake the drums, the bass drum and the bass guitar coming into a song for the Holy Spirit. But there is a real thing. There is a real Holy Spirit that we get in touch with in music and in life. And that is the thing that I know that Rich Mullins and myself and many of you uh, feel is worth seeking, the real thing, the Holy Spirit's presence and power. And it's so easy to mistake the appearance of something for the real thing. But I don't want to have drums and bass be my Holy Spirit. I want the real thing. I really want to get in touch with him more than ever in my life. I don't know if you've thought about that, getting in touch with God for real for who he is. It's easy to miss God. And we know from the life of Christ that one of the easiest ways to miss God is to become extremely religious. <laughs> Ironic, isn't it? So, it's easy to take on external appearances and practices that should lead you to God and accidentally miss God in the process. And one of Jesus' criticisms of the greatest 
uh, religious folks of his day, the, the Pharisees, was you study the scriptures because you think that through them you will come to know me, but you fail to come to the one whom the scriptures are talking about, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, myself. Um, we get lost. Galatians 5. And Derek's going to push it, push it up on the screen. We're going to use this idea of the, of the bass and the kick drum to kind of talk about uh, a way that the early Christian church was being derailed from their faith in Jesus and getting distracted and missing out on the real thing. For these people, the distraction was circumcision, which is, to us, perhaps a hygienic or cultural practice that we, some people still practice in our day. Uh, but for them, it was the sign of the covenant. It was like saying, I am abiding by the law, by, by the Torah. I am a godly person. I am a part of God's people. And this was a distinguishing mark on men, circumcision, that was an external sign that said, I'm one of God's people. This is a very important sign of the covenant. And everyone needed to have this done. All the men needed to have this done in order to be considered um, part of God's people. But after Christ, Paul takes this very sacred um, rite of circumcision and says, if you let yourself become circumcised as an external sign that you are one of the people of God, you're in danger of missing out on the real thing, on a real relationship with God. Let's listen to what he has to say. Paul says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't let yourself be burdened by someone putting a religious uh, thing on you. Mark my words. And he's talking with all caps and exclamation points here. So he's pretty passionate. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. There's a new way to be marked as the people of God post-Jesus Christ. And that is not with circumcision of the flesh that marks you as one of God's people. It's circumcision of the heart where we become a person who is, has faith which expresses itself through love. Interesting thing and very um, controversial at the time. And today, I wouldn't say that um, it's as controversial as the original audience it would have been for them. Uh, the circumcision was so important to them. But when he said these words, this is a big sacred cow he's knocking over. You're marked as a person of God not by your external appearance, but by your heart. By faith in Jesus, expressing itself through love. Why does faith in Jesus express itself through love? Well, the, the thing that makes you a person of God these days through Jesus is we put our faith in what Christ has done for us on the cross, paying for our sins, and in so trusting him to carry us, 
we're saved by this act of, of faith. And we're so humbled by, by the great amount that God's forgiven us and the love he's poured out in our lives that we have this love that gets poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that gets expressed by this faith we have in what Jesus did for us. So in this amazing way, um, the people that consider themselves very righteous and maybe we consider to be very righteous, the people that we would consider themselves to be sinners and terrible, terrible people, Jesus has said, those markers um, are not what make you righteous before me, but my work on the cross for you is what makes you a person of God, is, is what makes you reconciled to Christ. We're all on a level playing field. We're all humbled. And all that we have left in our hearts is love for those around us. So he says, do not let yourself be burdened by a yoke of slavery. A yoke of slavery, in this case, circumcision. But I think it's interesting that he says, a yoke of slavery, as if there are other yokes that we could be burdened by, which I think there kind of are. We are people who uh, get yoked into all kinds of different things when we're not yoked up to where we're supposed to be. And by yoke, I don't mean like an egg yoke, but like an ox, an ox yoke, like something holding them and directing them and guiding them in their lives. And, uh, and, and the, the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, called their teaching, their individual teaching to their, their followers, their yoke. So take my teaching upon you and learn from me, says Jesus. Um, but the yoke that you don't want is the yoke of slavery. So Paul kind of elaborates a little bit more on this uh, <laughs> very passionately. And I think you'll see just how passionate he gets about this idea that we shouldn't let external markers be what um, determines if we are a person of God. He says, you are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? You know, in this case, he's talking about the yoke of slavery, the yoke of, of circumcision, but for each of us, we have to ask the question, what, what, what has cut in on our lives that's kept us from simple faith in Christ, expressing itself through love? We are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. The offense of the cross is that Jesus pays it all, and we trust him for our salvation not by works. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. So Paul says, if you're going to preach circumcision, you should just cut the whole thing off. That's something. <laughs> Maybe some of you didn't realize there was such strong language in the Bible. I mean, Paul's like a nice guy, right? I just think it's so funny. One time I was, I was talking to someone um, right, 15 years ago, the brother of a good friend of mine, and he was very like, yeah, Christianity is, you know, lame, kind of um, um, whatever. And I said, have you ever read Galatians 5? You probably like this. I just thought he'd like it. He did. He thought it was funny. Um, so Paul says, the point is, Paul is using a figure of speech to say, this is such an important thing, this idea of getting yoked by something, like the law. It would be better if those people that are teaching this doctrine would emasculate themselves, like, Cut it all off because it's so destructive to a person's freedom in Christ. Because what does it say in the beginning of the passage? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Jesus came to set us free from the regulations of the law so that we could follow in the new way of the Spirit, which is faith expressing itself through love. 
Anything that cuts in on that, whether it be circumcision, whether it be whatever grandiose ideas we have of how spiritual we are, um, whatever that might be, however many hours we've logged, anything that cuts in on that freedom uh, is not so good for us. It's all just kick drum and bass. And we call it the Holy Spirit, right? You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Here he says it again. You were called to be free. Is this how you would describe Christian people that you know? They're just such free people. Um, It's interesting to think about that idea. What does it look like to be a free person as a Christian? But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. There it is again. Faith expressing itself through love. In this case, very specifically, serving other people in humble, humbleness and in love. For the entire law, the entire law, the entire law, big part of the Bible, is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul, is he crazy? Or is this authorized to say something like this? Well, Jesus said it. Jesus said, the whole law and the prophets hang on this one command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, Jesus said that. Paul reiterates it. And then he says in, in, in verse 15, a warning. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So when, when, the, uh, when the, the religious yoke comes into the, to the Christian community, causing people to judge one another based on external appearances, people start getting bitten and devoured. Their freedom is taken away. So Paul says, verse 16, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do, so that you are not to do whatever you want. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Not faith expressing itself through love or or humble service, uh, but fleshly things. I warn you that as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit of Christ is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Such an amazing uh, teaching. First he talks about the religious yoke, the yoke of slavery, and that's circumcision in this one case, the Torah, the law. And if you're going to get that done, you might as well be, be connected to the whole thing. Next he talks about the yoke of the flesh, just doing whatever comes to mind, um, following whatever impulses you have. And yes, those people that are living in this way become uh, controlled by the things that their flesh craves. We can all think of examples of people who just got out of control with sexual immorality, impurity, 
Debauchery, we don't say that word very much. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, and factions. Those are, those are big church ones. People in churches have these problems, right? This is not people out there. This is people in here. Um, and Paul says, the yoke of the flesh is also going to be constraining. But the yoke of Christ is found in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, And this is the yoke that we are told to connect ourselves to. Where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. In this case, we could say burdened by the law, burdened by, by bondage to the impulses of the flesh. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. My teaching is easy, love God and love other people. My burden is light, I walk with you in doing this. And what does the yoke of Christ look like? Well, it's expressed in the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the, the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, which is the Spirit of God. And the fruit of the Spirit, it says in verse 22, is love. This, is, this comes from a word that, uh, where... Which, which means un, sacrificial, unmerited deeds to help a needy person. This is what God's done for us. It comes from this Hebrew word called hesed, which is covenant faithfulness, that God, because of his nature and his steadfastness and his great love, he has sacrificially, through no merit of our own, done a deed to help a needy person, which is send his son Jesus for us. That's love. That's the fruit of God's spirit. It's what drove Jesus to the cross for us. The second fruit that's mentioned is joy, an inner happiness, not dependent on outward circumstances. Peace, harmony in our relationships. Forbearance, putting up with others, even when one is severely tried. I love that. All of us need some more forbearance, right? For, we, for Christ has put up with all of us, even the most difficult of us. The extra care required person is, is you probably, right? Uh, and Jesus has, been, has expressed forbearance by his spirit. He's put up with us in love, even, the, even when we have severely tried him, and we are called to simply just pass that along for other people. Love that. Kindness, doing thoughtful deeds for others. Goodness, showing generosity to others. Faithfulness, trustworthiness and reliability. Gentleness, meekness and humility. Self-control, victory and independence over the flesh being able to control yourself in a way um, by the Holy Spirit. These are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And this is the yoke that God has called us to connect ourselves to. So what sets you apart as a child of God is faith expressed through love, faith expressed through humble service to one another. Um, that's what shows you are a person of God. Um, the works of the flesh, the works of the law, they're all just bass and kick drums. We want the real thing. We want a relationship with God that makes a difference in our life. Maybe this strange picture that I'm going to share with you will help you think about this concept of walking in the Spirit and being yoked to Jesus Christ as opposed to walking in the flesh or walking according to some kind of law or religious uh, code. A few years back, and for those of you, you, you guys are going to become weary of my stories of 
mishaps while hiking and camping. I, I realized that. This is my, my only other story I can think of that, sh- that I haven't shared with you. A few years back, I fell through some ice on my way to a campsite where I was going to meet with some friends. Um, my bottom half got wet. There's separation between the ice and the water. My bottom half got wet. My backpack and my upper body stayed above the water. So imagine you're like me, and because you are like me, you fall through the ice on a lake, right? You feel this snap of cold that's colder than anything you can imagine in the water. Um, You try to rise out of the hole you fall into only to be kind of blocked or having difficulty doing that. Eventually, you manage to pull yourself out from this ice hole and kind of crawl your way to the shore. You're so cold that your, your, your clothing and even your hair starts to have icicles in it. And if you have facial hair, your, your face um, has ice in it. And you're in great danger. In the distance, you see a roaring bonfire. And it's so powerful that though you cannot possibly feel the heat from how far you are from that bonfire, you can almost imagine its warmth coming over to you. Like when you put one of those Christmas Yuletide things on your television and you feel the heat from your television even though there's no heat, it's like psychosomatic. You look at that bonfire and you think you're so cold and you're thinking, I just need to get to that bonfire. You have two choices at this moment, as did I. If you stand still, you will freeze to death. Or you can rally and situate yourself near that roaring bonfire. As you walk towards that fire, you feel nothing at first. You just feel tired, and strangely, you just feel like laying down in the snow and taking a nap. And though that seems like a good decision, that will definitely lead to death. Each step is like torture, you are so cold. But you see that bonfire in the distance, so you keep walking. Finally, you get near to that bonfire, and you begin to warm up. The ice in your hair melts, and your hair even dries out. Um, your whole body warms up, and you, you fish some new clothing out of your backpack, um, some fleece pants, some socks, a shirt, and a jacket. You put on a dry coat, a hat, and gloves. You are warm, and even carrying a small amount of that heat in your body. But it's cold enough outside that you will have to come back to that bonfire time and time again if you're going to get through the night. In this scenario, you have no real control over your core body temperature, but when you walk near that bonfire, it saves your life. And you need to come to that bonfire again and again to keep yourself warm. This is what walking in the Spirit is like. We cultivate spiritual disciplines to draw near to God. Things like prayer, things like reading the Bible, things like worship, things like fellowship, things like service. We, we come near that bonfire. And though we're doing all these different acts, it seems like it's our work, it's not. It's just us crawling towards this roaring fire in the distance. God cultivates in us the fruit of his spirit as we draw near to him as we take his yoke upon us. It becomes a life inside of us, a warmth that causes us to serve one another in love, causes us to love our neighbor as ourselves, causes us to love and forgive our enemies. And this warmth comes from God's spirit. 
And we have to come next to him time and time again because we cannot cultivate this warmth on our own. The fruit of the Spirit that it talks about in the Bible is a sing singular word, karpos, which means one fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, all this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all these things are one fruit that God grows in our lives as we draw near to him. We don't produce them ourselves. The warmth of God's love and grace that we come near to as we are freezing and cold um, produces these things in us. And I will remind you that this singular fruit of God's spirit, that God is the one who called himself love. It says in 1 John 4, 12 to 16, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It's like lighting a little campfire. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He, he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. It's so easy to fall prey to the fake thing, to the kick drum and the bass that we miss out on the real work of the Spirit in our lives. We get yoked to some kind of religious system, uh, some kind of idea of how we, are going to cult how we are going to cultivate God's fruit in ourselves, apart from God's power. We get yoked into the flesh and we get out of control in the, the things we are going after. But Jesus has said, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Draw near to me, for I am like a blazing fire. I can warm you and produce my fruit in your life so that you can live a totally different kind of way than you're living now. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Amazing thing is that though no one has ever seen God, if we love one another, God lives in that. His love is made complete among us. An amazing truth from Scripture. This time of year, we start thinking about decorating for the holidays. And we have a big, giant pine tree in our yard that was decorated by the previous owners of our house with strands of Christmas lights, which I plugged in, and they don't work. That's really disappointing. And um, I haven't gotten around to climbing up this tree and cutting these lights out of it. But uh, it's kind of a picture. You know, we cut trees out of, the, out of the earth and we put them in our living rooms and they slowly die. And we're supposed to look at those trees and just contemplate our mortality. That's what Christmas is all about. <laughs> we're all slowly dying, so make the best of it. No, I'm, I'm kind of kidding. But Christmas trees, you know, you bring them into your house. We decorate them with lights. They look beautiful and, uh, and they're fantastic. In about four to five weeks, they're brown and you either throw them in your woods put them by the side of your road or light them on fire like we do. Uh, but they were so pretty. By the end of the, the, the season, everything gets stripped down and thrown into the woods. Um, this is the religious thing. This is the, the flesh thing. It seems pretty, it seems good, but it just is all death disguised. The amazing thing about fruit trees is they don't look very impressive in many seasons, like in, uh, in winter and fall. But when spring comes and then late spring comes, you, you begin to see pieces of fruit just growing out of these trees. It looked so desolate just months before. This is much more like 
what it's like to walk according to the Spirit. As we draw near to God, as we receive nourishment from Him, as we humbly seek after Him uh, through, through spiritual disciplines, reading the Word, praying, fellowship, serving, loving, um, worshiping Him, this fruit, even if we look very desolate, we're not dead. This fruit begins to grow in our lives and we begin to look more and more like the Savior. Love begins to grow. We begin to look like him. This is what taking Jesus' yoke looks like in our lives. So in this time when we're celebrating Christmas, just remember those fruit trees underneath the snow and the frost, someday they're going to bear great fruit because they're, they're connected deeply into the ground. John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a person remains in me, they bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything. Um, the idea is, is very simple. As we abide in Christ, as we locate ourselves in him, as we stand near to his, his warmth and goodness and worship him for who he is, that sap from um, the vine goes into the branch and makes it fruitful. And the minute you cut it off, it stops bearing fruit. We can't produce the fruit of the Spirit in ourselves, but God can. I want the real thing. I don't want bass lines and kick drums. I want the Holy Spirit's work in my life more than ever before. I can honestly say that. I think the church is much more boring when the Holy Spirit's not working and moving and changing lives. So I just encourage us all to seek him for who he is, um, knowing that his forbearance is great. He, he, he really puts up with a, with a lot in us. And he's given us so much grace and so much opportunity to draw near to him. And when you turn to Jesus, ask him to be the Lord of your life, to forgive you of your sins, to, to fill you with his spirit, which is the promise of the gospel, that once you know him, his spirit becomes a part of who you are inside of you, developing his fruit within you. Uh, that once you turn to him, he treats you as if you'd never sinned or rebelled against him. And he all of a sudden, just like, just like he did with the disciples, though he is the master, he strips himself of his, um, his outer garments, his fancy clothes, he ties a towel around his waist, and he washes our feet. This is the humble King Jesus for all who come to him. He serves them and then calls us to serve one another. So but I'd like to pray and close this in prayer. Jesus, I pray for a transaction today. Um, as was prayed earlier before the service, where people in this body who are burdened by a yoke of slavery, um, where they got duped into the outward appearance thing or duped into the, the, the bondage of the flesh thing, um, that you would give them, that you would give them your yoke, which is easy, your burden, which is light. That they take your teaching upon themselves and learn from you and find a rest in their souls as they walk alongside you. I pray that for each of us, we would, you would reveal to us what disciplines, what, what ways of seeking after you are at our disposal and are best for our relationship with you so that we can draw near to the fire and begin to see the ice and the frost melt away to dry off, to get on some warm clothes, uh, to become the people you're calling us to be, people of love, of humility, of service, people who have faith that expresses itself in service to one another. And I pray that the, the, the character of Christ would rise up in the body here at New Life 
in every church that follows Jesus in our city and that we would be known by our love and our service for other people. That we would be known for the, the kind of forbearance you've shown to us, the kind of love you've shown to us, the kind of joy you've had in us, the peace that you have, God, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, and the steadfast, faithful love that we'd be known for these things, God, because they are produced in us by what you do in our lives. So we lift our souls to you. We pray for this transaction to take place. And we pray your blessing upon our meeting, on everyone who is here today, God. We lift up our time together to glorify Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.